Welcome back. Uh, it's Film Suck, and we are on, I believe, episode number six, which we are calling Picture Lord of the Flies, but with girls. And what got us interested in the topic of so-called gender swap movies or movies where there's, you know, very uh, emphasizing all female casts like, you know, Ocean's 8, the reboot of Ghostbusters, where in many cases, male characters are reconceived as, as female characters. And we got interested in the idea of how that related to the Me Too movement. Um, so we're going to talk about, you know, all of that specific films, the Me Too movement, you know, and, and a kind of you know, Hollywood feminism approach, which, of course, you, you guessed it, we find pretty dubious. So first off, I'm just going to sketch a little bit, just a rem- quick reminder of the of the Me Too movement. Probably a lot of you remember it anyway. It's a very recent movement. Um, it's only going back to um 2017 at least the biggest part of the movement that we remember um that's in the wake of the allegations of sexual assault um pouring out about harvey weinstein of of miramax and weinstein brothers company fame um and in the wake of that um tv actor Alyssa milano put out a kind of social media call for people to do hashtag me too in response, indicating that they too had suffered sexual harassment, sexual assault, etc., especially in re- in relation to workplace conditions. Um, and the response was colossal. There were just you know, millions and millions and millions of hits, many prominent people in Hollywood included coming out and saying me too, you know, people like Uma Thurman and Jennifer Lawrence and Ashley Judd and some people telling their whole stories about having their careers you know, sidelined by refusing to play ball as far as giving sexual favors to people like Weinstein. So Weinstein alone is responsible for people like Ashley Judd and Mira Servino having their careers um, severely curtailed. So often, if you ever wondered whatever happened um, to a young woman who started off with a, re- a real splash like Mira Savino did, um, suddenly disappearing or going into small TV roles, etc., that's often why it seemed... <laughs> Um, it, the movement has a longer history. We don't have to go into it in great detail, though it's an interesting one. Um, way back in um, 2006, um, Tamara Burke, who is um, you know an activist and organizer and a black woman, she's the one who really initi- initiated. It seems the term "Me Too." She was using it in a in a kind of movement she was trying to create that she called empowerment through empathy. And she wanted to just simply encourage women of color to come out and talk about the effects of sexual abuse and assault in their lives. And uh, apparently there's a documentary called Me Too, which sounds interesting. Um, and it had its roots in her attempts to, in her, uh, some uh, a very young girl, I think 13 year old, years old confiding in her about a sexual assault and she felt that she didn't respond very well and she said later i wished i'd just said me too um so not the first time in american history a black woman's movement um um, (laughs) only goes wide when you have a more famous white person put a face um on it and then suddenly everyone's talking about me too and she has more recently made an effort to say let's not Let's try to bring the focus back to where it originally was, but it hasn't gotten nearly the traction of the Me Too movement, which, of course, got folded into things like, you know, that first women's march with the pussy hats and all that stuff that was huge. And it gets brought up over and over again with this whole issue of women and the dearth of good roles for women in Hollywood. And, of course, that leads us right back to the specific movement.
movies that have um, come out and they seem to come out more and more that um, you're plugging women in? Yeah, I think like just before we turn to analyzing <laughs> and probably bashing most of those films. So I just want to focus or like basically talk about the Me Too movement as the a purely kind of media women phenomena, mm-hmm. right? Because again, as you said, it didn't really and still hasn't really moved into any other spheres, it seems. So sure, within the Hollywood or LA slash like New York media worlds, it did spread quite, spread quite a lot and made some... Um, I guess made some noise, but again, it's a, a, a very specific, almost like cast thing. It's certainly it's certainly been concentrated in at least the the kind of media entertainment world. Even though you know, if you read up on it, there's there'll be claims. Oh, look, it's it's infiltrated the the academy in this. Uh, you know, it'll, they'll name other professional sciences, et cetera. And you'll hear cases here and there. But I don't know. I'm sure it's just the sheer the sheer fame of the participants or the lurid thrill of Hollywood that's, it, that's that gets so much more attention as well. It'll get mentioned, you know, in in, for example, so, sort of here and there in the academy when mm-hmm. you know, yet mm-hmm. another <laughs> professor gets <laughs> accused. Yeah. And sometimes even women, I, there was this case, I think, with NYU yeah. um, Italian history professor being me too by by her male graduate student or something like that. UC Berkeley is like ground zero. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, Berkeley my God. As well. Oh, yeah. so a number of them. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, but you know, again, if you're all going to the movies, I just want to speculate a mm. little bit. Uh, I wonder what you think. Of, what mm-hmm. do you think about the idea that, um, so Me Too, the whole allegations uh, against Harry Weinstein, that, by the way, the rumors about him uh, have been going on for, for years. No. So yeah. insiders knew. Like mm. as 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 by the way, some kind of New York street artist did this pretty funny Meryl Strip kind of caricature and plastered it all over New York, and that said like she knew, oh, <laughs> yeah. she knew way before, and she's the one who, you know, like right. kind of like nobility, and and that 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 had an interesting follow up where Harvey Weinstein sort of called on, said, look, I worked with pe- I worked with Meryl Streep, and she we got along great, and she loved me, and she'll kind of vouch for me, and she did this really <laughs> angry reference. You know, she just refuted that immediately because huh. she knew she was on dangerous ground. Um, there are pictures of her sitting very cozily with Harvey Weinstein, and you know, so you're kind of like going, "Yeah, a lot of there are a number of people who were really buds with him, <laughs> yeah. embarrassing photos with him, and you know, that's good. that figures with people in power in Hollywood." Yeah, but yeah. so I got sidetracked. But the idea, so the the, the idea that I want to speculate about is that mm. so it all happened. Uh, the real accusations um, happened uh, in the wake of of already Trump presidency that did right. that it happened. So and there is this um, sort of idea that the Me Too um, <coughs> happened only because Trump won and not Hillary. And uh, mm. basically the sort of democratic elites or whatever the, the liberal elites started turning on on itself because mm-hmm. Harry Weinstein was a huge Hillary donor. Right. Uh, and there's this all very kind of weird thing that happened only after she lost. Obviously very speculative, but there's something of a rage that couldn't be directed or Trump himself couldn't be affected by, right? Because he's like an openly <laughs> like a misogynistic pig. Absolutely. That never the whole pussy and, grabbing line. Mm-hmm. And yes, yes. And, and it only made him and, yeah. popular and he won. But the... Democrats could 
purge in a way their own <laughs> like mm. men in their in their own camp in a way mm. you know and that, that, that at least obviously gave... rightly so but they right. couldn't get the other ones oh well yeah i mean <laughs> the one thing that the, the weinstein case really illustrates is yes how how much cover there is for somebody like Harvey Weinstein, who's operating openly, like as you say, everyone knew. It's sort of like mm-hmm. Bill Cosby is another case, you know, in the world, especially of comedians were coming out of the woodwork saying everyone knew, everyone knew for decades and made sick jokes about it. And yet there was there was no there was just an assumption in the culture that there was going to be nothing done. And certainly, yeah, Weinstein was wired into the halls of power with with Democrats for just being a huge donor over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's an equal number of really embarrassing pictures, now embarrassing pictures of him with <laughs> Hillary and lots of other top, top Democrats, uh, of course. But it just points to this large, certainly uh, yeah, the Democrats are, God, I don't think we are, we're even saying anything to say. <laughs> These people are awful and irredeemable and <sighs> And the being stuck with them in any way on the left is this travesty that we don't quite know how to negotiate. We're we're trying to gain power outside the Democratic Party. And that's very difficult because they are entrenched power in such a serious and kind of damning way. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, tons of cover offered to anyone who will, will, you know, especially toe the really traditional party line that's the democrat party line um it seems like that's going to give you a ton of what and meryl streep is the perfect person to be buddies with and try to use to vouch for you because she's like friendo hillary and you know supposedly this typical hollywood feminist and that's very much in quotes um um so she's the perfect person for him to have appealed to but what about meryl streep she thinks i'm okay (laughs) Um, because she stands right at the crossroads of Hollywood um, and b- basically democratic politics. Yeah. So yeah, who knows? So then the, the purging within the Democrat within the democratic circles. It's just going to be much be. harder to do. Trump, mm-hmm. Trump, you're right. And that's you know a weirdly twisted beneficial outcome. But I think you're right. It suddenly made it much more popular to leap on this whole sexual abuse bandwagon after Trump makes makes a series of the most outrageous statements possible and you're not thinking in terms of somehow will offend democratic party in power yeah that's true and since democratic party is not in power it seemed like the sort of the corrupt really you could really tear the lid off this thing and and go to town and still feel like you're kind of protected because it's it's trump it's trump world now yeah, so uh, so the system started kind of almost eating itself, like right, the liberal elites and all these movies that came out in the last few years are really telling of what's going on in their heads and how they see the women empowerment portrayed on screen, which is kind of hilarious. So I thought we'll just probably talk about a few like big movies. And kind yeah. of what they what they mean. Do you want to? Because you wrote a great review of Ghostbusters. We oh, yeah, probably start tw- with that one. Yeah, the 2016. Yeah, Ghostbusters reboot um, with an all female cast, including what Melissa McCarthy, mm-hmm. Kristen Wiig, Leslie Jones. What's the other one's name? Who's really funny? Uh, uh, why am I blanking? I don't know. 
That's, How can I be blanking? She's the big leading light of um, Saturday Night Live, supposedly. She does she does the Hillary Clinton um, imitation. I'm totally blanking on her name. Anyway, you you all know who I mean. Anyway, she's very famous. Um, so anyway, they take the leading roles, of course, occupied by Bill Murray and Harold Ramis and Ernie Hudson and Dan Aykroyd. And, you know, just unbelievable amounts of of press and hype surround this Um um, this this all female reboot. Um, it's also legendary for the viciousness of the attacks of the so called fanboys, um, and including the this the scandal over the supposedly so called you know the the worst um, trailer ever made was supposed to be the trailer <laughs> for Ghostbusters that yeah. just just set off a firestorm of controversy because and and indeed it's a terrible movie. It's really limp and unfunny and the women are just stranded in these just terribly written roles they're almost no la- how can ghostbusters whole fame rested on certain scenes that were hilarious than that everyone remembered and certain performances that were hilarious and of course with, with bill murray being you know central to how funny the, the first movie was that's why it's considered this kind of comedy classic so to have this really droopy badly paced horribly shot i mean like literally paul Feig you know shoots like he's like he's drunk the entire time and just swerving wildly around doesn't know where to put the camera cuts everything is cut wrong for comedy so you kill any few laughs you might have had it's really atrocious and so it just you just you sit there feeling sorry for these women who no doubt are who have might have been thinking when they were cast well thank god i had to i had to play all these awful clubs and do unfunny stints on saturday night live and i had to do all this you know direct work to finally get to what looks like a, a career pinnacle this huge mainstream movie based on a beloved comedy classic and now it's my big chance and you just got just sick and atrocious roles to play they're awful they're so weak um and there's all this attempt to make it really about women by doing really a stereotypical women thing so if you i think it's even featured in the trailer where uh, melissa mccarthy says so let's go and is interrupted by, I think, Kristen Wiig also saying, yeah, let's go, let's do this at the same time. And then they each start madly apologizing to each other. No, no, you say, no, no, you go. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. All that mad apologizing that's supposed to be true of women as opposed to men. Um, you know, the, the the women in action, you know, and then the, the, the humor will be women aren't really suited to action because we're all too inclined to be recessive and try to be nice and all that kind of stuff. So it, that really points up nicely, like the difficulty of, of this type of thing, of trying to take roles written, conceived of as roles for men plugging women in do you just let the women play it as action people more or less as written as male roles so a celebrated example of a male of a role written for a man taken by a woman is sigourney weaver um an alien <clears throat> or do you try to make it quote unquote about women <laughs> and tailor it toward what women are like because you tend to spill over from male stereotypes to women's stereotypes and you know how much progress are you making yeah, it, well, but that seems very like, kind of like black and white. And when you say, oh, what women are like, you mean like the movie sort of a bridesmaid that women like, I don't know, right. getting married and like buying things? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, no, that was the most embarrassing thing about bridesmaids. It was being touted at this, as this great moments in feminism that you know, it was going to be all these women in lead roles, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it's all about hysteria over a wedding. And the Kristen Wiig character is like madly jealous. Can you briefly talk about it? I never watched. I only watched the trailer. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. the basic plot that the Kristen uh-huh. Wiig character. Admittedly, she's also failing in her career, but guess what her career is? She she was what? running a, a cup, owning and running a cupcake make shop. So it's just oh, all man. fancy cupcakes. You're just like, oh my god. And so yeah, so so it winds up on top of everything. You know, her friend is getting married. It's a huge, fabulous wedding. Her, you know, obviously Kristen Wiig's own love life is dreadful, um, and going nowhere. So she's just consumed with envy as the ma- uh, the maid of honor, and and of course winds up. You know, with this kind of uh, no doubt, you know, unconscious hostility, uh, you know, undercutting everything she's doing. So everything's a disaster in this in this wedding. And yeah, it's just women. You know, the the, the biggest scene, the, the most famous scene, is that she takes them to some restaurant for the, you know, for the bridesmaids' dinner or something, and and they all get food poisoning. And it's when they're trying on their dresses that they're overcome with you know diarrhea and vomiting. <laughs> Um, and so that, that that scene, I think, was I think it was actually the male producer. I think it was Judd Apatow who who recommended that scene. Oh, that and sounds very Apatow. Yeah, I think it was, I, yeah, it was Apatow. <laughs> and so that the you know the most famous one is there is Maya Rudolph in her character in that giant poofy wedding dress, and she's trying to get all the bathrooms are taken. She's trying to get across the street to another bathroom, and she sinks down <laughs> in the middle of the street as diarrhea overtakes her, and she's like, "Oh my god, this is really happening." So of course bridesmaid's dress is going to get ruined but it's all that scatological stuff that normally isn't put together with women because there's all this kind of nervousness about women and their bodies so you all that that's the kind of humor in other words that would be more much more typical in a male oriented male cast um of a comedy than it would women so that was supposedly the idea of it but but of course there's all this you know I don't know all everything that's hilariously demeaning, and you just take male humor and shove it over onto women, and you know, yeah. you start your mind starts reeling because you don't quite know how to think of how to think of additions like that. You know, is it like, yeah. oh, good, we're not going to be delicate about women, or but I don't know, that's just such a dumb scene. But it did get the most laughs and the most attention. But again, yeah. it's it's got some funny scenes, it's got some funny bits. But what was most interesting was the hype that surrounded it, and it gets trotted out every, almost every time you get one of these all female casts. Um, but Paul Paul Fig is his- yeah, the director is a male man, right? Absolutely, so it was Ghostbusters director. Absolutely. Same dude. And that somehow doesn't get talked about much. Like people, I don't think he just becomes the the maestro of women's films or something. But at any rate, he always really spearheads a whole publicity campaign based on the idea you you all women and all people who, you know, care anything about women have to go to see the movie immediately or women will never get leading roles in anything ever again. So that's always the hype. And not to uh, minimize it. It's really, you know, it's... it's you only have to look at what typical women plot and casts are. I mean, uh-huh. typical, I'm sorry, movie plots and, and casts are to see that, yeah, um, they're not dominated by numbers of women characters. They they really aren't. They tend to be male, male-oriented, tons of male casts, lots more work available for male stars as a rule. We're not, that's not always been true, by the way. If you yeah. go back to the studio era, women dominated um, for years because the the – the belief, and it seemed to be borne out, was that women made up your major, the major, most reliable part of your audience. But we were mm-hmm. long since past that. But it is kind of surprising if more or less half of the population is female. How come that female-driven films cannot be popular enough for to make enough money for whatever Hollywood studios to produce more of those? 
Well, yeah, there's an argument that's always been trotted out, which is just Mm -hmm. basically going back to, say, mid-70s, where they basically start doing demographic studies. Mm -hmm. It's right around that time of the resurgence of a kind of neoclassical Hollywood where Jaws and Star Wars and everything Mm -hmm. reinvigorate the box office. And and there's they do new studies and they basically make the famous claim that they, you you know, your your most reliable customer is a 14 year old boy. And that's who you have to start aiming everything at. <laughs> and even though you don't hear that touted as much anymore, I, they yeah. do very minute yeah. studies of who's who are our ticket buyers on there and they're aiming at who yeah. are the yeah, who are the repeat business people who will come back over and over again. So if you think of it in that term, young males are your most reliable box office in this in this very long era since the 70s supposedly. Huh. And so think, you know, that's why we have 9 billion superhero movies and there's no end in sight. But you always tend to doubt that too. They also claim older people never go to movies. You know, there's all these demographics that are just hugely underrepresented because they just claim those aren't the majority people. Those are niche audiences and it's really hard to drag them out to the movies. That seems unlikely yeah. about women, but they do say that women get overruled now. In the hmm. old studio era, women, the, the, the claim was, and I'm assuming studies backed it up at the time, women decided what movies fa- whole families were going to go to. Women were the chief consumers of their households and that's why women be, were the target and you had many more female stars and tons of you had genres devoted to women casts, like yeah. melodrama, things like that. Um, so, you know, not, but now the thinking is, no, men are the ones who override women. So a woman will go see the latest superhero film with the guy she's dating or her guy friends or whatever, but men will not go to usually to bridesmaids or something else like that's chick flicks or whatever they call flicks, it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which exactly. pertinent to that, <laughs> I just. I think I might even play it. I was a few years ago discovered the speech Riz Witherspoon uh, was giving at the Glamour magazine some kind mm-hmm. of award ceremony. I think she got Woman of the Year award. Mm-hmm. It might have been like three years ago more. It's definitely pre Me Too, but it's mm-hmm. very, very much related. And uh, she, uh, well, she's a famous actress, but she also started her own sort of like a production company, but they also option books and uh, with the female characters and try to make them into successful movies. And they did so a few times. I think uh, Gun Girl is the book that Riz Witherspoon optioned. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so she's been successful in that. But I think um, speaking of this uh, very specific kind of <laughs> feminism, I just want to play what, what she was talking about, female Druid movies. Can we try that? Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll see how it works out. And <laughs> she's really Tracy Flick. But our company isn't just thriving because it feels like a good thing to do. It's thriving because female-driven films work. This year alone, Trainwreck with Amy Schumer, Melissa McCarthy's Spy, Pitch Perfect 2, Cinderella, the Hunger Games franchise that has made over $2.2 billion worldwide, films with women at the center are not a public service project. They are a big time, bottom line enhancing, money making commodity. I think it's very telling of sort of women in Hollywood. Oh, absolutely. The, the only goal is to show that because and, and the, the the hype around things like Bridesmaid is always the same thing. That's why you have to turn out for the box office because Hollywood is ruled by the box office and you have to show that women's films 
will make money because that's the standard. So yeah, she's just taking it. You're right to to very very Tracy Flick levels. <laughs> and <laughs> Which the cheering is-, <laughs> is all about you know who cares? It's Cinderella for the millionth time is one of the films she's mentioning is. Yeah. But it's a huge hit, and you're just like, yeah, it's Cinderella. <laughs> it's Cinderella. That ain't exactly a progressive. In fact, that's a definitively non-progressive role. <laughs> Though probably the reboot. I didn't see the reboot. They probably try to make it more girl no. power-ish, but it's pretty but, funny. Yeah, but the the general stance of yes. something is like, okay, women dream films and not charity, but right. they're not a public service announcement. Yeah. yeah, they're <laughs> a money-making commodity. There's something yeah. very almost, not pathological, I don't know, again, I understand she's in the business and the stuff, and but there's something very uh, almost psychopathic about it. It's like all about the numbers, right? Right. Oh, I agree. Yeah. And that's, yeah, she wants to talk, you know, the big boys of the executive suites language. Yeah. 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 That, and that's the goal. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. But at the same time, she wants to, if you look at the, the earlier stuff that I was mistakenly look at, the, the what should we do question where she's trying to make it like there's all these demeaning portraits of women that are mm-hmm. non you know, not reflective of the reality of women's lives and blah, blah, blah. But then she just reels off a bunch of films where you're like... Yeah. Are any of these films really going to be models of, I guess, Hunger Games? Because she shoots bows and arrows yeah, and yeah, yeah. athletic, maybe? Um, yeah. What kind of roles are they getting out of this if the only only goal is that they need to make money? That, that is funny. But then also, I mean, OK, she was talking specifically about money. But generally in those films, um, I, I watched fully, I think, out of all this. <laughs> Me Too films Ocean 8 mm-hmm. again yeah. reboot with all female cast mm-hmm. and I was thinking what's okay what's the obviously it's a successful film and again all these reboots uh, with women are successful because there is an inbuilt audience for the franchise right so it mm-hmm. has nothing even to do specifically with women it's just the studios make them because they're pretty much sure that they will make their money back and more but mm-hmm. the Ocean 8 had some sort of okay I thought what's the ideology there what's the message for, for, the, for the women because it's all female cast and they're like mm-hmm. badass bank robbers and sort of um, what do you call it uh, hackers and, and all that there was this moment Sandra Bullock right she's yeah. the main character there she's getting out of jail and mm-hmm. um, she devised a scam to to steal like a bunch of jewelry from um, a Metropolitan special mm-hmm. exhibit that uh, doesn't matter but at some point she says why we were doing all this Mm-hmm. And she responds herself that it's so that uh, a hypothetical eight-year-old girl could um, <laughs> could look at them and understand that she can become a bank robber too when she grows up. Well, and it's a perp. It's the perfect example of what you know. Lots of people have identified on the left, anyway, on the hard left, have identified as perfect neoliberal politics that dominates Hollywood, which is you just want 50%, 51% to match the female population of any given area of power, no matter how awful, pernicious, whatever it is, to be filled by women. That's your only goal. So the most despicable world-destroying CEO in the world of, of that group of CEOs, as long as 51% are women, we're all good. Or as long as, what what is it, 11% are black and as long as X percent are Latino. And, as long, and you just go down the line and plug people into the most loathsome areas of power in the world that are all, God, horrifying for women, for any group that's ever been oppressed. They're all horribly oppressive, but you don't care. Yeah. Just across the boards. It's all horrible, but there's no questioning and there's no criticism of that. It's just, no, we just want 51% in any place. 
and there's yeah. there's no further thinking. It's all that it's all that stupid <laughs> lean in, all that that took so much heat, <laughs> rightly so, because you're just supposed there you are in your in your vile corporate <laughs> boardroom meeting, and you're just supposed to be leaning in and at the table. That's where it came from, and and making your mark as the worst kind of business executive in the world and you don't care as long yeah. as you're a power player. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, for those who know, yeah, Linen is a book by Charlotte Sandberg. Mm-hmm. Is she former or still present CEO of Facebook? And just God, I, I a thought still despicable present, person. I don't know. I <laughs> don't know. Pre- well, she's despicable, but she yeah. seems and her idea of feminism in this book that is a huge bestseller everywhere mm-hmm. and my friends mm-hmm. in Moscow, her fans as well. It seems mm-hmm. like this type of feminism is the only one that remained. This is the only discourse somehow that remained now. Right. I mean, I do hate it, but then when you really think about it, if, if there's no um, kind of revolution in, <laughs> in sight in your future or a better kind of world coming, then mm-hmm. whatever we're stuck with, I guess it makes sense like fighting and trying to climb to the top of this mountain, however horrible. <laughs> Whatever horrible mountain of shit that is, well, it's rather more than, than being down there, right? It's like you wouldn't, but you wouldn't mm-hmm. mind as much. Maybe I'd still mm-hmm. mind, but let's say you wouldn't mind as much if someone said, "Look, it's got to be a several step process. First, we got to get some power. Then we we can change. Blah blah blah. Even if uh-huh. that's delusional, then we'll change the system. We'll have power to change it. Even if that's not going to happen, but there's no uh-huh. consciousness of that at all. It's just like, no, no is, isn't that going to be the greatest, most inspiring story that our daughter is the CEO of? Some horrific company <laughs> that, yeah. uh, that is in every way oppressive, using God knows what child or and oppressed women labor at a dollar a day. And other, they don't care. It's just like, but she's no. a CEO. Yeah, and she and has like multiple game. slaves at home, like raising yeah. her children. Which exactly is the case. It's <laughs> that idea that you're uncritically saying that's the end game. Then we'll have power and uh, end of story. That's yeah. why Hillary Clinton as president is just great. But but yeah, when you try to argue and say, but she's holding some of the most loathsome positions in the world. Yeah. Her stances are going to affect women horribly. She's against Medicare for all and all that <laughs> stuff when she was running. And but her fans are just like, it doesn't matter. She'll be a woman and she'll be president. And that's all that we care about. And you're like, Maggie Thatcher was prime minister. Was that great? And they're just like, nah, they always bat that one away. Hillary won't be like that. She must be great because she's a woman and a Democrat. Yeah. So, well, identity politics yeah. basically won over all spaces. Not only in academia, where I sort of struggle with it every day and you used to, but clearly in the trying to take over or I don't know, took over the kind of the more popular culture, even outside of the academic bullshit. So, and that seems to be the case. And speaking of movies, because we're trying to discuss that, for instance, mm. I was, uh, you you did watch Captain Marvel, which I yeah. <laughs> couldn't force myself to, so we can talk about that. But I was reading about Brie Larson is the, um, the leading yeah. lady, <laughs> the Captain mm-hmm. Marvel there. And mm-hmm. she was just bragging and super proud of how, obviously she made more money on this film than any other male actor right. because she was the leading lady and she made, um, I don't know what it was, mm-hmm. a salary, over $5 million. And again, it was... Um, I don't know. It is one of those, again, despicable cases. So what are you really standing for? Okay, you're the woman who now is uh, potentially will become soon a multimillionaire, if not yet. But what does it really change? It's just... Again, it's that end game is what someone else might say, well, that might be your first step. You, you get to be a power player. But that's... No, I'm yeah. just... I'm I'm more highly paid than these guys is sufficient. Yeah. It's sufficient. And, and it's also... it's. <laughs> Everyone cheer, kind of 
it's all right to say that and everyone cheers you for saying mm-hmm. that as if you're some sort of like a do-gooder by making mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, five million and this makes me an activist and an organizer so hypocritical and so gross but can you um briefly talk about the film i bet it's despicable but like in which ways Oh God! And I wish, I wish, I, I my mind literally goes blank every okay. time I think about the movie because I literally went to it so we could talk about it, and yeah, I don't I know. know what to say about it. It doesn't do that thing where you associate the woman with you no know, cliche femi thing. So, like you know, I only watched you know because I couldn't handle Ocean's Eight, so you took the you took one for the team there. But you know. I did watch a couple of scenes and one of the big scenes is Sandra Bullock gets out of jail and she starts, she needs everything. So she starts stealing, but she's the stealing she does is at, you know, uh, you know, a top department store. I forget what it is, but you know, it's mm-hmm. a real one and it's perfume and makeup and clothing. And, and it's all, all the kind of girly things that, that jail, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that they're do, doing a jewelry heist and there's all this mm-hmm. drooling over this diamond necklace. And it's, this is, these are all the cliches of ways of representing women is obsessed with their appearance, um, you know, dying for diamonds. That's like Marilyn Monroe's diamonds are a girl's best friend. There's just all of these ways of evoking a kind of, you know, you you on the one hand say, look how look how girl power we are because there's so many women in top roles. And at the same time, you've, you've got this utterly regressive conservative series of images. Well, arguably um, by the diamonds, it's like was cost a lot of money and sort of supposedly was easy to sell so they because i watched the full film it wasn't emphasized as something that girl it's just, wants it's to just have it's just money trailer just a lot of money. it's just big in the trailer the fawning over it and the drooling that's why i probably got a distorted idea okay, but i think okay. it's noteworthy that it's in the trailer but at any rate captain marvel doesn't do that they go the opposite Root, which is they're very much emphasizing the badassery of the the lead the the lead woman played by Brie Larson, the Captain Marvel character. Uh, so she's you know all out for a kind of Top Gun like adventure. She just lives as a kind of adrenaline junkie, constantly leaping on motorcycles, and you know she strides around very very forcefully. She kicks ass. It's it's that it's kind of that flip side. While at the same time, there's there's a best friend. Of course, it's. Uh, become practically a requirement to have a black best friend i guess that's been for a while so of course she does and the two women are very very tightly bonded and a lot is made of that and the the black woman has to give the big big tributes to her because she's got amnesia and she can't remember <laughs> you know what an amazingly powerful woman from mars she actually is and so of course her friend has got to tell her you know you are always the bravest <laughs> the greatest <laughs> um the most undaunted the most on and on and on and that inspires you know the white woman to go fly off and be the all that she can be um but you know it's very much you know the cooper you know she's an air force um woman who gets seemingly sidelined into another you know life and then and loses her memory and doesn't know who she is and then has to recover who she really is and all that stuff but it's it winds up being superhero aligned with air force mm-hmm. um so that's always a lovely <laughs> combination <laughs> where you wind up cheering the american military in all their expeditions because now they're aligned with superheroes and you know that's that's a, a move that so commonly gets made but you know again despicable and do we really want a top gun played by a fetching young blonde actress even if everyone thinks she's talented i guess she's okay <laughs> i i found her 
incredibly uninteresting, but that's just me, maybe. Um, she gets praised a lot. She won an Oscar for something that I'm not forgetting. Yeah, she got Best Supporting for, God, I didn't see it, obviously, but for something anyway. So she's considered a real actor. But And that clearly the test is, can she carry a movie? Can a woman carry a movie? Will it make money? And the Marvel Comics universe has long been kind of hesitating on the brink. They did, uh-huh. you know, you know, they've been, you know, what, you know, sort of jerking around Scarlett Johansson for how many for a decade or something, you know, sort of yeah. promising to do a Black Widow movie and then not doing it and all that. But of course, Captain Marvel's doing incredible business, absolutely incredible business. Okay, and um, again, Brie Larson proved that women-driven women movies can, can be money-making money. commodities. And and it's, that's what's celebrated. I mean, there's a, a really hilarious trailer of, of Ghostbusters, and that's exactly what they they talk about. It's called Honest Trailers. They do, they do really funny commentary on movie trailers and on the movies, and it's just all about, like, look, women can also achieve you know, a completely rote studio, you know, hunk of commodity crap. Yay. <laughs> kind of thing. And But apparently, again, that's 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 far enough. That's triumph enough for a lot of people. Well, what interests me about this, who actually stands behind it? Because like actors, they're just the faces of it. Like, are there actually more in the last few years? Um, I guess women writers, directors, and I don't know, cinematographers and all that. Because it seems to be, I guess, there are more chances now, which is a good, <laughs> a good yeah. sign to do that, um, whatever the story is. And that's a good sign. But then it makes me think what you were talking about, the stereotypes. It's also like sort of forces in a way women who are uh, creatively active now in Hollywood to only, seems like, tell their own girly stories and write their own girly stories because that's what expected by the sheer force of identity politics winning over Mm -hmm. the entire (laughs) cultural discourse, which I I hate this word, but I don't know what to say. So, and that's like a very dubious thing, because if we talk about storytelling and films are a very Mm -hmm. popular form of storytelling, isn't storytelling a much just broader phenomenon? It's not supposed to be navel-gazing. It's never been that. And sure, it's not necessarily that great that back in the day, men and white men, that's the only men who had all the freedom and creative power, mm-hmm. would tell everyone's stories. And that's right. sort of colonial. I, I get it. And it's good mm-hmm. to have just different people telling different stories, whether it's trans, black, gay. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be that everyone gets to be pigeonholed, though, now, even if they do have a chance to say something, it's only to say something about themselves. So yeah. in a story and form. And you can get into trouble if you're trying to speak to for... Speak for Someone else. So I'm, and yeah. I'm very confused about it. It's very new to me. Again, I'm not. I'm not from here. I don't come from this mm. <laughs> crazy culture. I come from another crazy culture. But what the hell is that? Because I, I don't think it, there's anything necessarily good coming out of this because it's not offering anything other than. This, well, like, it's, it's yeah. a little bit like the that idea of feminist filmmaking that takes you one step into making money. <laughs> it's it's kind of like a one step process and you never look further down the road. So the end goal is what? And it just seems to be like, what? no, yeah. you're only allowed to speak for your, your quote unquote own. And you can't even imagine how you could ever write anything. Um, yeah. <laughs> how could you? How, you couldn't write a novel. You couldn't, you know, it would it would have to be a one character. I, I don't know. I, it's a little baffling. Yeah, it's anti-imagination. Even if you wanted to say that just in the short term and just say, you know, 
because it's been so dominated by a white male point of view representing everyone, let's make sure we're getting these other voices in speaking for their actual quote unquote yeah. authentic experience. You, you trip and stumble over all this stuff. As soon as you get into that kind of essentializing, you're just like, ah, I feel like I'm starting to feel bad. All right. But if you even said that's a step <laughs> on the road to who gives a shit? <laughs> uh, because you want the great writers to be able to write and that's going to mean they especially in certain forms like novels films etc you have to be able to jump from head to head you have to be able to represent all, a huge variety of experiences that, that defines those forms so you can't you can't lock yourself in maybe you could always say but you could dominate the point of view yeah of all the characters you could say that i guess but i just uh, <laughs> it just sounds like death for for, for my favorite forms that the whole it greatness is. of them is you aren't locked in i can remember going through this as, as a grad student when they were really really mm -hmm. into you know the idea of the bad male gaze and the bad male sensibility mm -hmm. dominating and we were talking about hitchcock movies and how well look how you're locked into a point of view here and that's so hitchcock and i'm like well what about psycho where he's constantly breaking you from marion's point of view where you are locked in and you're traumatized by her being killed and then that's the joy of film isn't it then you are shoved into norman bates's head and you're with norman then and then it fragments even further and you're with other characters and he's deliberately showing you i can make you identify via the camera and the editing with anything i want i can make you identify with the vase or the phone i could do anything i want because that's film that's the power of film and it's also just yeah. part of especially a kind of modern and postmodern experience this this kind of where we, we don't believe in kind of lockdown character and identity and there's a and and the, so much of the joy and the freedom and the excitement and the insight seems to be from being able to move around <laughs> in that kind of unmoored way that's perhaps yeah. both the curse of the age and its greatness and just the idea that we're going to return to lockdown into you know, positions based on where you're located in the world, supposedly as your authentic self. It just seems so crazy. But what do you mean by returning? But it's never, Sorita will never be it's that never way. When you say returning, like, I think it's actually new. That's exactly what identity politics is trying to do. Like, it's, it's never been before that way, really. Oh, well, but I think we've gone through periods where people very believe, very much believed in it, even though I think you're mm -hmm. right. In these forms, the tendency has always been, you know, to break you out of a sense of you, you can do first person and, and seemingly lock you down. But, you know, the whole move of so many novels from way, 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 way back is, yeah. you know, the thrill of the whole framework breaks away and you're now you're now you're somewhere else or a whole other way of looking at everything that just happened has been revealed to you. Yeah. And film takes it even further. It's that's what's exhilarating about it. Yeah. And and again, in film, novel, whatever, any kind of form of storytelling, I don't necessarily think that by default, a woman writer, woman screenwriter, filmmaker will create an interesting, complex female character. I just don't believe it. It's about the talent rather than, I think, your gender identity, which is, I guess, not allowed to say anymore. But um, for instance, one of my most favorite filmmakers is uh, Paul Verhoeven, a mm -hmm. white old male, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is already like sounds like a crime to be these days. And um, he is one of, I would say, the most feminist filmmaker who had one of the most complex, weird, strong female characters in his 
in most of his films, in fact, back from his the movies uh, made in, in um, what is it, uh, Never, Never, God, Netherlands? What do you mm-hmm. say? I wanted to say never. Yeah, I almost said Neverland. (laughs) (laughs) What a slip. (laughs) It's a better name. And uh, Netherlands, and then when he moved to Hollywood as well, whether Mm -hmm. it's um, Total Recall or um, Basic Instinct or even Showgirls, uh, most of them, and Fourth Man, the early one from, uh, from his Dutch days. But basically, I just don't believe in this. Uh, women characters only for women writers um, rhetoric that is pushed now yeah. it's very much pushed now even by Reese Witherspoon too who believes that men can only write a female character who says what do we do now <laughs> right and, and again I do think once upon a time you would have read you I know you you would have read a lot of people saying I'm kind of repeating myself but th- this is a phase we have to go through in order to get to the point there basically where we've broken the white patriarchal stranglehold on culture mm-hmm. and enough people have come to the fore you know from representing all different you know races gender sexuality etc have gotten enough power and then it can be closer to who's great and they can just come to the fore without being blocked um i i don't know that anyone believes in that anymore that next phase you don't that hear next it phase. You certainly don't hear it talked about in Hollywood circles. It seems very finite what people are after. It's just, you know, a woman is in the executive's chair or a black person is or whatever. And then and then it's all fixed True. and then it's all good. No one talks about the just the horror and the corruption of, and rot of the system to begin with, even mm. if they're in it and have to work with it. But you can address the sort of the sheer horror of it, which oh, it just reminds me. Uh, do you know that um, Sasha Baron Cohen? Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was last year aired. Made the, another comedic attempt um, and satirizing kind of American politicians on all spectrum. Mm-hmm. I think it's called the show Who Is America. Have you heard mm-hmm. of it? I have heard. You have heard. Mm-hmm. I have watched yeah, it. Yeah, I watched only parts of it. It's not like super funny, but he's mm-hmm. playing different characters and right. like a very heavy makeup. There's like an, an Israeli uh, sort of military guy. There's like a middle um, American, somewhat obese, wheelchair-bound journalist. Mm-hmm. There are all these weird types. And he mm-hmm. basically gets to interview famous politicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. and, yes. and it always ends up really funny. And occasionally funny. creates a huge scandal because he'll get some politician to do some outrageous yeah, thing. One yeah, of yeah, the yeah. biggest scandal was that he yeah. got as a as an Israeli character, <laughs> horrible kind of pro war guy. Uh, he talked to Dick Cheney, and Dick Cheney signed yeah. uh, a waterboarding bottle, like a right. big bottle. But why I brought it up is not mm. uh, because, like, I remember this uh, episode. This is pertinent to this. Uh, he was uh, playing the character of Middle America wheelchair, thematic wheelchair bound journalist who got to interview Bernie Sanders. Mm. And Bernie Sanders actually turned out fine. He was like very courteous, but. He, he didn't sound like an idiot, didn't say anything stupid. But so Sasha <laughs> Baron Cohen tried to convince Bernie Sanders with a weird char- chart he showed and stupid questions. How, mm-hmm. why is Bernie Sanders advocating of this like 99% versus 1% mm-hmm. type of schism in America? Why can't 99% be put 
into 1%. Yeah. <laughs> and he what? had this ridiculous chart with numbers, how you put nine into one and it becomes one, nine. Right. There's something completely ridiculous. Yeah. But the general argument, it's actually, I mean, it does make some sort of sense. Obviously, it's turned on itself and absurd. Basically, how, why can't everyone just become like rich and rich and white or whatever and yeah. healthy and have all these things. And yeah. Bernie Sanders was saying how that's the whole point. It's 1%. <laughs> Everyone can be there. But it reminds me of this our argument now is that, okay, can, uh, it seems like everyone's trying to be that, that's mm-hmm. that one type of powerful yeah. CEO or, or franchise high earning director or best selling type of writer and everyone's just gearing for one specific thing. It's like literally putting ninety one percent into one, which is <laughs> just well, that's great. I, I hadn't heard that. That is great because, and you can't knock Bernie Sanders off message. It's almost impossible because he's had the same message for 40 some years. <laughs> but at any rate, that's that, but I think that's exactly right. The idea that somehow everyone can be rich and famous if they would just work hard enough and merit it. It's the classic meritocracy. And that, that, of course, it cannot happen. We cannot all of us be billionaires. It's never that's no. not how it works. There is no way. But that you are to blame. And that's always been a huge American problem, obviously, especially it's an exaggerated problem in America because the idea is anyone can be president. Anyone can be rich. It's just all on you. And if you didn't do it, that's your problem. But you're right. This is a very much of a buying in. Well, you know, I'm a woman. I'm really Witherspoon, I will just create my own company and we will make money and then, then we will be a successful company and we will all be rich and everyone will respect us and women will now be represented. And you're like, but in what they don't seem to care in what way will women be represented? And it's true. Like when you when you see what these most of these reboots and all female casts are, it's really it's really disheartening. It's just like yeah. seriously, no one can think of any characters for women that didn't used to be male characters. <laughs> Uh, no one yeah. can think of anything more interesting than bridesmaids as a scenario. No. I mean, shit. Well, <laughs> well something that's might come. Amazing. And, yeah. And, and I'm well, eventually, for, maybe yeah. you keep thinking. And I'm sure that maybe that's what they'd argue, too. But I, I, you yeah. never hear it. It's always the end goal is yeah. we have to make huge money. We have to be executives. We have to, et cetera. But speaking of the, the movies specifically, the horrible franchises that now mm. are reboots with, with like all female cast. I mean, but that has something to do, not just like, I think it's even outside of me too. I think we briefly talked about it before, but basically there's this weird period in Hollywood or in filmmaking where everyone, all the producers and all the uh, companies are scared of any kind of risk. So mm-hmm. they constantly yeah. just do something that at least has already a name mm-hmm. of a franchise and that would make money. So it's like kind of weird member berry stuff where it's just all the nostalgia and reboot and there are no risks. And they even made, uh, uh, again, back to the Me Too, they made a remake of Overboard. Remember that mm-hmm. film with Goldie yeah. Hawn? But they, yeah, they, they gender flipped. Now it yeah. was like a rich man and the, and the woman tricks him into believing he's poor and all that. And we didn't talk about Lord of the Flies reboot that <laughs> right. might be coming, right? right. Which is pretty pretty crazy <laughs> that is a great oh let me let, i'm gonna definitely yeah. describe that. Well, before that another one that's coming out i think this coming month is it's called the hustle it's got anne hathaway and and uh, uh rebel wilson What's and that? it's a remake of dirty rotten scoundrels which okay. scoundrels which has been made twice with mm-hmm. men in the leads and if you watch the trailer for it which is playing again if you go to the movies right now you'll probably see it um there's a, a it's all about you know how what's how will women in those roles do things in a womany way <laughs> and so one of the big 
lines by Anne Hathaway, to, who's tutoring Rebel Wilson mm-hmm. in how to be an, a really high class, big money <laughs> thief and scammer, says, why do you think this will work? And Rebel Wilson, you know, makes a wild guess. Oh, why is, why does it work for women to be con artists to be? And and Rebel Wilson says because because we're all we've all we've all been faking it, ha <laughs> ha, or something like that. And then Anne Hathaway says no because no man will ever believe a woman could be smarter than him. So Ooh, that's how okay. we always get away with it. So so there's this. At least you can see a kind of attempt, but again, it's the it's it's a kind of attempt that's rooted in I don't know, in these kind of very light minded takes on on the woman's experience that are you know limited to kind of well yeah we all used to faking it, <laughs> yeah but then but then even you know much funnier is the Lord of the Flies okay <laughs> pitch which which is actually I I tried to follow up on what's happening it came out uh-huh. in, in in 2017 and I got a ton of press as one of these movies where there's ge- gender swapping on a grand scale and the pitch is basically like picture Lord of the Flies but with an all-girl cast and it just led to an absolute social media and especially Twitter storm of mockery over this because you know of course if you read the classic Lord of the Flies it seems very much to be dealing with you know this a kind of male sadism and aggressivity it seems to be very definitely this this critique of this quality by which what seems to be a story of boys going feral on an island um they actually are setting up systems of government etc that you can see is resembling the culture that already exists um and so people of course would, would in mocking the concept that you just plug girls in and trying to imagine what on earth that would look like you know you get people saying so you mean Heather goes camping <laughs> they already made that movie it's called mean girls oh i like um, that one yeah uh you know but it, it's equally essentializing because it's it's doing the well but girls are so different that you know girls will never go feral girls in that way they uh-huh. will all be super nice and supportive of each other or they'll be catty and behind yeah. the backy but in that minor way that the most you get is a kind of hair pulling match kind of cat fight or something so you know it it, it ricochets back and forth in the kind of jokes people are, you know, the probably the biggest one is looks like people, some people freaking didn't get the whole point of Lord of the Flies. <laughs> that kind of that kind of uh, outrage as, yeah. along with all the jokes. Uh, it just turns out that I happen to know these filmmakers. I worked with them for the prayer for a number of years, David Siegel and Scott McGee. And it was so shocking because I hadn't heard or seen anything about them for several <laughs> years since I think their last movie was maybe the B season with Richard gear which didn't make much of a splash and so did all you of work a sudden with them back in LA yeah back in LA in independent film for a number mm-hmm. of years and so to see them suddenly you know were like so many uh, friendships uh, involved in trying to make films anywhere in or around the American film industry you know we're totally estranged um, it's very hard to maintain f- friendships believe me if you get any tiny degree of success uh, horrible things happen but at any rate it was amazing to suddenly see their pictures appearing everywhere with this just insane freaking pitch <laughs> that's so clearly at least seems to me cynically just trying to take advantage of the, this movement in what seems like the most ludicrous possible way I mean it, I, Maybe it's me. I just can't even see what's the interest level in a Lord of the Flies, but with girls. I mean, that just seems like you're you're straining 
<laughs> in a in a really big way. But it got huge publicity, and I don't know what's happened since. That was I have again to say, two years I, ago. I would go see it, and I think a lot of people will, and because it's again, it's a known brand, and yeah, it'll make exactly. money, and that's it's, it. It's a, it's a classic. <laughs> people get assigned it in high yeah. school all the time, so everyone knows it, or a lot of people know it anyway. Yeah, so it's going to have high cure. I'm sure that's why they got a deal with. I think it's Warner Warner's. I think. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> but is that what we're going to get? It's just a series of try to think of any book, which is going to be an awful lot of books that have mainly male characters. And then we're just going to flip, do a, do a gender flip. And <laughs> But the funny thing, so the article I think you sent me about, about this uh, potential Lord of the Flies reboot, it seems like the uh, journalist, whoever was writing it, was kind of excited. And the only criticism was there that there's mm-hmm. two men with no Art, help of women. Exactly. Are writing this and yes. then we're going to be directing and again you know it, it it's uh the whole thing is so <laughs> absurd on all on all levels but it would be fixed if only you had a female writing directing team it would the all whole be thing fixed. is wrong so i i just want to kind of try to sum up what because it's all very my thoughts themselves a bit confused and be, mm. because the whole thing is confused and absurd and there's no really logic to it but on the one hand okay they're they create this gender flip thing male to female all cast yeah stupid movies that, that at least make money but on the other hand it's also ghettoization because supposedly only people of certain identity can make films write and mm. direct characters of their own identity right and which is also wrong so i don't even know who is winning in all of this who is the winner <laughs> i know who's other than you could argue well more women will get jobs if more people are scared that men aren't going to be able to you know aren't going to be able to do these kind yeah. of reboots but so far there doesn't seem to be there seems to be very little in that case it seemed outrageous enough that people really commented but mostly you don't hear that paul fit Paul Fag is a problem because he keeps doing these all female casts. I've never read yeah. that. Yeah, normally nobody nobody cares, and that kind of stuff just breaks down immediately. I remember being at Berkeley, and there was a proposal. We had to have these pedagogy meetings, and there was a proposal that we break down into groups, but the groups were going to be defined by race. Of course, you know, and it was definitely going to be majority huge group because most people were white, but there were, you know, a couple of people who are whatever, Asian, et cetera. And somebody said, and this was about my husband, said, well, where's Philippe going to be? Because Philippe is, he comes from, he's, he's, he's black, um, he's, he's got Mexican roots, he's, he's part Native American, he's part, he's a, a whole bunch, you know, is he going to, is he going to have to join like eight different groups and do tons of work or what, how is that going to, you just get into these absurd, how are we going to parse anything when it gets into any level of complexity? Um, and nobody likes that. They just like the clear cut idea of no, you know, it, it, uh, only only someone who comes from that experience. I mean, it, it has a certain common sense quality, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, women were going to have more insight into the experience of women. But as you say, women, just women as a collective aren't all going to be equally <laughs> insightful about their own experience. This is why you get all these terrible cliche wrote ideas and films and characters um yeah it's about being good psychologists and have 
talent, like it's about having talent. And, and I think, I guess what I would, I mean, in an ideal world, what would be great is that mm. obviously women should be trusted with, um, I don't know, being directors, having some kind of budget and being able to write their own material, yeah. but that can't be about anything. I, who knows? What if like a woman can write like the best thing about like a boy or some sort of male centered story. And that can be very truthful, even though she's never been in a boy. So, mm-hmm. and that's not seems to be where it's going. Okay, there exists there. What is it, Catherine Bigelow, which we mentioned quite well, a yeah, lot. And what do you get from <laughs> Catherine Bigelow? You get zero dark thirty, the touching story of a sensitive CIA agent who <laughs> who cries at the end. She's so upset at all the torture <laughs> that she's witnessed and in fact been par- a big part of. And you're just like, what? Yeah, but that was That's the female, the female touch. touch. <laughs> exactly. This is this is like yay. We've got a woman director, Catherine Bigelow, and she's revered, revered and wins Academy Awards and all of that bullshit. And you're just like, my God, this is it. This is this is Hollywood feminism. That's that's it right there. So where are we? Where where do we leave off? Um, where do we leave off? I don't know. I mean, flies. Well, I mean, there's so many of that. I uh, While preparing, I was just thinking about pre-Me Too, but very much Me Too kind of flavor-like mm-hmm. film, like Trainwreck, which Emmy Schumer wrote and Judd Apatow directed. Oh, right. Oh, I hated Trainwreck, too. <laughs> I saw it and you reviewed saw, it. I yeah, it. I saw it and I found it gru- just grueling because, I mean, Emmy <sighs> Schumer is sometimes funny, but the whole premise of the film, and if we do look at the films as something for younger audience or girls or whatever to get some sort of life lessons from yeah it is horrific what the hell it's like unnatural if oh, i would and and, and, and oh that, that's the thing where i was going mm. so it's written by a woman fully mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, and even if it's directed by jabetau it is amy schumer's material mm-hmm. which is a kind of written by a woman a female character is mm-hmm. completely unnatural it's just horrific writing in a way horrific story and, and very um i think damaging in a way to young women to see that this is was the, the gender flip movie right and, and yeah, I yeah. That, was it a gender flip that oh, was because she's of taking course it a gender flip because the idea is usually that there's some kind of unavailable bad boy is oh, right. uh, oh, yes, can get right, like, right. the best girl who would fall in love with him and be super good and patient and wait while he will sober up and i think that specific flip which is very common in the culture itself which i see around what's like the young woman supposed to be and how they're supposed to act it is a mirror to that but it's a horrible mirror and i think it doesn't make it justice that it's written by a woman my point is that i don't necessarily think it's neither true nor good nor accurate to I don't know my experience or anyone else. Well, else I, mean, I, I know. I don't know. I had a I had a different. I also was appalled, but for for a different yeah. reason. Like so much of Amy Schumer's material that I liked seemed like what she was trying to do was show that you could be a woman and be very uh-huh. sexually active, very raucous, like to drink, okay. like to party, and there was nothing wrong with that. That's what I thought her thing was, her pers- uh-huh. kind of persona that she just did from, you know, her show and all okay. that stuff for skit comedy kind of thing. And then I go to the movie thinking that's what it is. It was kind of marketed that way. Like, this is going to be uh-huh. a hilarious woman who just lives very high and is unapologetic. And the whole movie makes it that she's super apologetic because it makes it all about how she broken really emotionally like she's really got a huge emotional problems and that's what all the drinking and all the sex is about and i was just like what it was supposed to be because that was a hell of a lot of fun and she liked doing Uh it and 
what yeah. was the problem with that? And it turned into this two hour walk of shame for Amy Schumer because really, you know, she needs to clean up her act. Um, and that whole, you're right, love of a good uh, of a good man. And it turns out he's the kind of you know pure, sweet one. So it is very gender swap- swappy in that yeah. way. They seem. But but. What I noticed was, I compared it, this is a little bit of a stretch, to one of those old Rock Hudson Doris Day movies where Rock Hudson would play the super high level, liver, living the bachelor life, <laughs> goes out constantly like drinking, having tons of sex, tons of girlfriends, and then he meets prim proper Doris Day, mm-hmm. who's playing a kind of virgin forever character until she meets Rock Hudson, and she converts him. Um, and he gives up his old ways. But the thing about Rock Hudson is he's having just a fabulous time the whole time, <laughs> you know, but with Amy Schumer, all of a sudden she's having really a terrible time and she's got all of these weeping scenes and it's all her alcoholism is such a problem and her casual sex is so bad. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? I was just really baffled by that. Yeah. That was a real like. What just happened? Is that the Judd Apatow? What did she? Well, and supposedly she was inspired because I don't know. I, I forget. She'd lost her father recently. It was somehow there was some angle on it that was right from her own experience somehow. And I was just like, this is this is awful. The one thing I really liked about her, unapologetic, pleasure seeking hilarious raucous and then it got turned into this more morality show about how bad that was i was baffled i think it might be jada Badao something to do with the sort of the direction it took yeah. because jada Badao himself is known for being very much proponent of just like a family kind yeah, of yeah and it always goes ideal. conservative always no he's very conservative yeah, yeah. And he himself arguably whatever married i don't know how many kids he had and you know and he, that's his whole paradigm yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the answer to everything he does that when when it's um it's you know a male at the center what's that one with seth rogan where he impregnates and one date the woman who's a super oh, high achiever right. knocked, knocked, knocked up knocked, and in the end he's gonna have to give up all of his raucous over you know teenager forever guy behaviors is the way it's presented and get a job get a good corporate job which he gets immediately even though he has zero work history you know the typical hollywood fantasy you're like no you're not gonna waltz yeah. into that job buddy but yeah he's got to clean up his act and become a good family man and then they'll have a proper marriage and everything will be proper and you know what no his his wild man shtick is always like are you kidding he's the most conservative guy around <laughs> Yeah. And I guess there's nothing. Well, he's basically like family values yeah. kind of director. And corporate. Yo, go get yourself a job. <laughs> if he was in Russia, he would really fit in into the kind of like uh, general government and government sponsored media uh, and film production agenda because it's all about family values. You need to have more kids, marry and procreate and blah, blah, blah. Wow. <laughs> That's very so much rudeness. This movie's. Like straight to the channel one or whatever, whatever we have. We have Damn, that would be great to check it out if Joe, Judd Apatow films are, are huge in Russia. <laughs> I know. Uh, they definitely do get release and whatever uh-huh. TV movie theaters. I'm not sure people know his name because it's right. People are not right. interested in names. And not tourists, but yeah, definitely popular. It's very much fitting. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> Which is like shows like, ah, uh, yeah, that's concerned. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not sure about the, by the way, the train wreck film that I don't know of anything in terms of popularity, oh, because yeah. I think it may be a bit too sort of uh, promiscuous and kind of like. Really, that wouldn't fly not. in Russia. I, no, that, I bet it was shown. I'm not sure how popular. Right. I wonder what, I think I'm bad knowing kind of the culture of someone. Well, I don't think that would be 
something people would like wow. generally speaking mm, i thought th- i thought the russians could party hard i thought that was my whole dream yeah, of but going again, to russia patriar- <laughs> no no but it's a very patriarchal society yeah, so yeah. the amishuma generally is a phenomenon when it's just it's not somehow relevant right okay so obviously it's a party hard but it should be the more traditional uh, I guess, yeah. okay the flip is not good yeah, the flip's not good okay and, but at the same time what you're saying it's actually is good because she is not enjoying herself. In the end, she's chastised. Exactly. She realizes. So I'm not sure how, like, who knows? What if if they pick up on that part, then then they can enjoy it because it's sort of clearly that she's sort of repenting. Yeah. (laughs) As is proper. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Um, But yeah, anyway, I don't know how to. Well, it's just, I was trying to think, are there any good, are there, what are the representations? Yeah. What what kind of women oriented, women centered, however you want to put it, filmmaking is the good stuff? Um, you know, and you can look at different eras and different kind of categories of filmmaking. I mean, that women just because of, of sheer prejudice, of course, women made mm-hmm. their first and some of the biggest inroads in, of course, art, kind of art house cinema, avant garde cinema. So you'll see a lot mm-hmm. of very strong, distinctive, and insightful point of view stuff. In those areas, which it's always been one of my, like what? you know, like, like Maya Duran type. Well, yeah, Maya Duran, like Maya, Maya early, Darren, you know, Darren. Chantal Ackerman. I might not be a huge fan, yeah. but you know, the Jean Dielman film is that's a really brilliant. Oh, I like that's that. a really brilliant film. I don't think you can really take that away. Uh, you know, Anya Varda mm-hmm. is terrific. Vagabond, mm-hmm. brilliant film. You know, her, so many of her films are brilliant. Um, so you can yeah. see in in more art house serious film that's much more you know low budget, etc., and niche in its orientation. You can see a lot of kind of brilliant filmmaking. But it's always been my heart's cry in many of my reviews. You know, how many women ever make genre films, i.e., popular the majority of popular films, and make them in a way that they're really good and really memorable and insightful and you well, love them. Clueless. You can't beat that. It's a great film, I think. So Clueless is very controversial. What do you mean? In what way? Well, for, for in along the same lines we've been talking about, it's all about a rich girl. Um, you know, and how, how what's her kind of triumph? Well, she's going to do makeovers for people. It's all put in the most <laughs> cliched, you know, girly um, achievement terms. But, you know, you can tell she's going to be super successful because she'll have a makeup business or something. So, yeah, it's, but it's, it's funny. It, it's it, it seems to be a self aware comedy because I like Amy Hackerlin and it wasn't straight. There's a few layers. It's ironic. Yeah, it, it so, is ironic. It's got that nice ironic tension with the voiceover, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, I, it's a highly enjoyable film. But you, you I don't know that you'd want to hold it up is like wow that's <laughs> i know that's tremendously I, i'm insightful. just I don't, okay what else is there i'm i'm just a bit desperate what what is out there like, oh, there's yeah. just not much that's oh. exactly the problem i can't think of anything <laughs> there's a film came out a few years ago i, I need to look up uh, who who actually directed it but i think it was a great female film uh a diary of a it's sort of, uh, it came out like four years okay. ago and it's set in Berkeley in the 1960s or somewhere in California, huh. not Berkeley, San Francisco of 1960s. Oh, okay. So the diary of a teenage girl. Have you heard about I, it? I don't know. Who's in it? Um, directed by Mariel Heller. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I should look up. But, and it's, uh, who is in it? Alexandra Skargard, mm-hmm. isn't it? Oh. Wig, isn't it? She plays a mother, and it's Carrie about a girl. Is she yeah. in it? Belle Powell. Okay. I don't know. It might be like a new actress. She's this fairly young, plays this kind of wild, uh, cartoonist, fourteen-year-old girl mm. who is very <laughs> sexually aggressive mm. towards her mom's boyfriend. I don't know. It's really interesting. I mean, I just retelling the plot won't do it justice mm. because I remember watching it and was very impressed with just 
all we, what we covered, both representation mm-hmm. and kind of the veracity of what's going mm-hmm. on and also the sort of female gaze in a way. But basically it had like a real life to it somehow, which I don't know, you might, I wonder what you'll think if you watch it. Mm. Is it, and is it a, sounds like an indie film, is it? It's an indie film. I yeah. don't know. It might've been pretty rare. And Sundance, I think it's not very high budget, uh-huh. but it, I watched it in a movie theater in New York. So it, it did have a, probably not a very wide release. Uh-huh. And again, what was interesting about it besides like the, the art, I think it was really well made on the sort of art side of it. But the plot was, dude, it was interesting because it's like a teenager who I think she herself praying on her mom's boyfriend and her mom is somewhat like dates mm. around herself. And uh, she seduces him. Mm-hmm. And I think then she breaks up with him. But she's definitely not in any way like a victim the way the way frequently the narrative goes these days mm. in any kind of form, whether it's books um, or films with stories like that. Mm. And uh, and later on, I forget, she is definitely not even about sex or her love life anyway, because uh, it's about her being uh, kind of an aspiring cartoonist. So a lot of the film is her drawing interesting stuff and trying to break in into, I think, um, you know, doing um, their illustrations for magazines. And it sort of has a very, the character is very kind of well-rounded. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I think that's the one that really stood out for me. It does seem like that's where you have been able to make inroads for quite a long time. That's where you can, it, yeah, indie art film world mm-hmm. is where it seems like those films can can come about and kind of thrive, and they'll be and people will seek them out in enough numbers. It, so the, yeah. that's why there's so much emphasis, I think, on this. How do we crack into crack the big business, the big genre film, the big action film, the big whatever? Because that's always been where women couldn't get the directorial roles. Um, they wouldn't be yeah. trusted with a huge big budget thing or you know whatever. Women are never, aren't asked to write those types of things because they're mm-hmm. cl- cliche male and. Um, um, and they tended to be about men. So that that seems like that became the big goal. But the results are pretty disheartening. It's kind of like what we've been talking about. It tends to be you either become kick ass, but with big boobs, you're, you're Lara Croft or whatever. Um, or you, you, you know, you, you kind of flip over and it's like, look how someone stereotypically girly would function in this role. And you're kind of trapped between these two poles. And yeah. neither one seems very insightful. It just seems like, again, it... At a time when the belief was your your major reliable audience is women, and I don't know what to say about that. That seems like that's been a long time ago now. You had, even though they're often considered regressive, you had the just the greatest women's roles in old melodramas, old film noir with the femme fatale. I mean, we I don't think we've ever really matched the the meatiness, the the outrageous, self contradictory, fascinating kind of qualities. <laughs> Of the women. But there's also female vice there, female vice that somehow now have been erased and exactly. frequently what celebrated it's like as if there's no female vice. Yeah, women are. Only it was either goody. vice if it was if it was film noir or sin <laughs> if it was melodrama. And yeah, and you'd out of that. You, I think that's exactly right. That gaze you got you it just released all of the po- cultural piety. And all of a sudden, you could just have these amazing, you know, roles and casts and the greatest female stars. You know, that's where you get, uh, you know, Betty Davis and Catherine Epp and Rosalind Russell and all of these women get these stupendous careers playing these great, great roles that you just you just don't see. Does it have a, something to do, because films are just like the reflection of culture, mm. does it have something to do with this uh, sort of trite statement about, you know, Madonna and whore kind of syndrome that um, <laughs> I guess a lot of males have, a lot of they're exhibited mm-hmm. in different literature and all that. And so, and that's a, an extreme simplification of 
generally a woman's side right. game, just women characters. It's on this like as if it's black or white, and that's frequently yeah still what we have. Yeah, yeah, just an inflection on victim villain, but a particularly yeah. <laughs> male fantasy orientation around it. Yeah, I don't know. I just there are it, but again, it almost seemed like often in the in the worst of the fantasies of how bad women could be you'd get these great <laughs> you'd get these great transgressive portrayals that i would rather see that i just rather see that well there's a great moment in a in an old film noir that's famous called out of the past where you know the woman has just run the tables on this guy even though he's super played by robert mitchell and the woman is played by jane greer and she's she's you know gotten to the point where he's basically at her mercy and she's like finally i can talk to you and tell you what i never could tell you before and she just starts telling him very honestly who she is and what she's done and and projects a life together for them it's like we're both bad and 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 we both should just follow that out and live together and be honest with each other and she actually proposes this marriage the kind of marriage you don't know she never states that but i kind of um let's combine and be true to each other in a way that we we can't as long as we both have to play these roles me having to play either virgin or whore and you having to play tough guy and now we can get and of course he's that's presented as the ultimate moment of horror ultimately he's going to wind up deliberately driving his car into a police blockade to get you know her killed certainly but himself killed so they wind up dying together in a car um that's speeding along which is kind of a beautiful way to go anyway for them um but it's like that kind of thing where where you get this bid toward let's let's be our true selves here it would that and it just seemed thrilling because because there had been so many kind of mind games that had that had gone on that had to do with with gender cliche and it just seemed like a great great moment that couldn't be pursued in the 40s any further than it was it's the woman's got to die immediately after yeah. making a proposal like that but uh it was a kind of black wedding proposal that could have led to all <laughs> sorts to of see interesting it, things um, um speaking of gender and outside of like 40s newer like do, what do you think about starship troopers which is like almost a post-gender well, very ahead of its time yes, film it's so like, obviously it's like a satire on fascism it's speaking of women like the <laughs> women characters in it and the whole representation like what, just... what are the details of that i just remember them all being insanely gung-ho i can't remember <laughs> for instance it has um it has kind of mm -hmm. like the default equality of genders that they show there that doesn't take away the women's sexuality it just that they're for instance scenes in the army and um according to the film only um mm -hmm. if, if you want to be a citizen you have to be to go in the army and mm -hmm. you can live as a non-citizen and just never serve and so women and men who want to become citizens they go to the army and mm -hmm. uh, women and men for instance shower together they're all naked there and there's no kind of and women do look hot and fit and all that but there's no kind of like sexual tension mm -hmm. there because it's just sort of a post-gender mm -hmm. environment where you just sort of like just comrades <laughs> and, and and uh, that's just a normal activity. It's been made what twenty five years ago, more, and and we're not still we're actually not there yet. So it's way ahead of its time. But at the same time, it seems to be that's where the culture is trying to go. Where, you know, yeah, right? But it, but. Yet yeah, those those kinds of scenes have a tremendous impact. I mean, there's no there's not it's not being played with any irony. But the first Alien is exactly like that, where they all wake up in their underwear, and they're getting you know come out of their sleep pods and. They're just all working together and 
you know, gender does, uh-huh. doesn't seem to be a thing as you start. Of course, the spaceship is called Mother, and you know, there's a million ge- gender studies explicitly of alien, <laughs> but its its gender <laughs> has been skewed in certain ways that actually does seem like it's trying for something that's going to make you have to look at it very, very differently. It's not being presented in the kind of cliche terms. It was it was interesting. I liked it. Did you? It holds up wonderfully. Yeah, but on the other side of it now, when I'm older, when I think it might be Second Island, I can't remember mm-hmm. which one, where Sigourney Weaver semi like gets semi-pregnant with an alien and has to cut it out. Isn't that pregnancy? Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's, that's Prometheus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott brings brings back a kind of version of alien. Yeah, yeah. And I, that was what, that was like my second All favorite right. scene that's in that Prometheus. movie, which has a couple of great scenes and otherwise is just a huge mess. But I mean, that's a great <laughs> scene where Numi, what's her name? Numi Rapace. Um, yeah, she has to she has to self-abort this alien <laughs> that's impregnated her. But it makes you think about the Ellen franchise as a whole. It's a bit of a, some kind of like angry fetus. I mean, there's some kind of it's, parasitical. It's, it's a film all about <laughs> birth horror. <laughs> Birth and gestation <laughs> horror. There's no question. Exactly. Oh, it's definitely but men. Who wrote it? Is and it I actually by, know. It's by men, I can't right? remember who because I remember teaching this way long ago. So that's why I can't remember. Dan O'Brien. Dan O'Bannon. Wait, Dan O'Bannon. Ro- Ronald Chester story. Who invented it? I think it's okay. the story originally by Ronald Chossett. I don't know if I pronounced it right. Yeah, a few men. Well, actually, guess what? Guess what? It was a very male order terror that was underpinning so, at least some of the impact of the film. And I remember I didn't know this and I was teaching the film and I and I said, well, you know, that, that scene where John Hurt's character has the alien, the, the little alien clamped over his face. This is before they know what it is. And of course, it's going to keep growing and, you know, you know, <laughs> reveal more and more you know, horrors as the thing itself mutates and seems to evolve. Um, but at any rate, I said, well, well, what's really noteworthy about this is there's a kind of rape imagery that's equalizing here, right? And I said, any everyone has a mouth. <laughs> so certain basic gender distinctions, if you're going with binarism anyway, uh, now break down because it's the penetration is is down the throat and everyone's got a mouth and everyone's got a throat. And then somebody raised their hand and said, I actually read an interview with the writers and that's exactly what they said was one of their big inspirations. They literally said to each other, what what thing would horrify you the most? And they got into the, you know, the male horror of, you know, male on male rape. And they said, well, how could we equalize the, the horrors of rape then <laughs> through this thing? Um, so yeah, sex, birth, gestation um seems like it's absolutely at the heart of so when you know the whole pregnancy thing that made all the sense in the world and yes the the, the, the pregnancy pregnancy as as monster parasite is is a great image and where she if you remember she jumps into a machine they don't have an abortion machine they, um because it's a male it's a male-centric still for you don't they don't yeah. explain why it doesn't make sense if you if you come up up through the alien thing of the beginning the early ones but at any rate she, she has to jump in another machine that's crude that has no way of doing this other than crudely hacking her open uh um and that's how she and then she has to stitch herself yeah. up and run away from the alien before the alien eats her yeah, and that's also a perfect you know image the alien the the child that will you know basically Eat you alive, destroy your life, take your being, <laughs> devour. <laughs> Which you know, you know, it's interesting. Us, we were thinking, okay, what mm. is the good represent? What are the good like female films that should mm-hmm. come? What's the ideal thing rather than this crappy identity politics? I think it would be great if someone made. Well, I don't know. What if I can do it one day? Basically, there's no good, um, mm. almost like Cronenbergian sci-fi horror around birth, which is 
I mean, I don't say it's central to any kind of female identity, of course not. But just that is in, that is interesting. It's not just yeah. shopping. Oh, I love that. <laughs> There's a whole interesting world ar- around just the birth. So no one did that, and it's not probably very appealing. And I'm not sure, especially it's a big if you're not maker. doing it from the male point. Because we talked last time about you know Cronenberg's The Brood, which is all this horror of birth, but from a really misogynist yeah. point of view, um, from a really male misogynist point of view. And you know, we talked about how that was a personal thing for mm-hmm. you know, his rage at his ex-wife and the custody battle and all that. But yeah, to, to take it from the other angle, because, you know, if you talk to, personally, I've never had kids, but when, when my friends were having kids and they'd tell me the symptoms, the possible symptoms and some of the symptoms they had, you, it was just nightmare. I was just like, are you fucking kidding Oh my the God. sickness, it's like disease taking over. And I don't know, I can't imagine if talk about it in the public, but oh, I think it's an interesting perspective absolutely. to have. I mean, I just think like your teeth, your teeth can start coming, be, be like wobbling in your mouth because your whole, your whole skeletal structure is trying to no loosen way. up to get ready for you to pass this basketball essentially <laughs> down your little tube. It's just like so <laughs> nightmare. And you're just like, what? No one talks about it. It's only you get the little pamphlet when you're pregnant. Because I, my friend showed it to me. She's like, and it was like reading Frankensteinian horror show stuff. And I'm like, are you fucking? And she's like, well, of course I didn't get all, but there's paragraphs of just the most extreme uh, symptoms that go with this. And and she's like, but I've got a lot of them. You know, just awful. It's almost like as if it's not a lady thing to like look at it straight mm. you know whether writing a book or making a film it always has to be sugar-coated yeah. in some way right and and that would be interesting but that's a brilliant absolutely would be a brilliant thing yeah all physically rooted yeah. horrors based on know. women's yeah <laughs> experiences of their bodies yeah which even only book-wise which is not the same mm. as film i think film-wise it would be way more powerful because it's a visual visual and very visceral medium but book-wise i only know one that mm. goes at least somewhat close there there's this Brit- is she british mm. or canadian author I rachel cusk i don't know if you know better she wrote that book uh, uh-huh. about basically <laughs> this of her experience of having because i think she eventually became a mother i called um a life's mm-hmm. work which I guess is somewhat dark. <laughs> a life's work. Okay. Yeah, I think a, a life's work. It's, it's kind of a good book that that goes mm. around, around that. But I don't know anything else just that gets close, just like narratively. And, and it's got a gaze yeah. wise. I mean, and there, is, like, there are some, like Ginger Snaps is a famous, you know, girl, teen, it's a teenage Ginger girl Snaps? Uh, mm-hmm. horror film franchise that actually has a couple of really good ones. And it's, you know, it deals with things like menstruation and the body transformation and how you can map that onto kind of werewolf-like qualities that they always use for teen males that really did puberty uh-huh. really well for teen males. And they kind of took it back and made it for teen girls. And it's actually, especially the first one is just excellent. So, I mean, there's real possibilities there that it's just been so irregularly followed up. And I think that is there's a certain body disgust when it comes to, (laughs) to, to, you know, to the female body. So that kind of makes sense. But it's yeah. But also it's kind of interesting because like men get to explore all their war Mm -hmm. wounds and horrific mangling of the bodies due to war. Very readily. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of books. It's all movies and all that. But somehow if you look at it as a specifically kind of female Mm -hmm. only war (laughs) on your body, that why is it has to be shame around that? Right. There's if if you can uh equate it with war. 
in a way and mangling due to almost it's almost like a having nobody talks about something. God, no one's gonna talk about it. it's always got that euphemizing but the creation of life is so beautiful and then you know ask any kid who sat through those once mandatory childbirth films and the first reaction everyone has is mm-hmm. ah! <laughs> it horrifies both boys and girls yeah. Uh, I don't think they make them watch them anymore. I I, I know that Americans had it. Okay, never were never forced to watch them. I don't think they do them I anymore. Know anything about it? But yeah, <laughs> never knew about it. Yeah, but just as an idea, it's it's like a parallel to the well, and, whole and so many war stories. Yeah, well, or or that would be an, an enlightening thing to make it a parallel yeah. because I don't think people parallel it because yeah. it's all that's. The creative woman versus the destructive male. You know, it's all those kind of. Um, <laughs> okay, I guess I make it apparel. <laughs> you know, nothing about like your, your body just being rendered and ripped. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, it's coming. <laughs> I hope, yeah. We'll be there anyway. <laughs> it's coming. Okay, that's mm-hmm. definitely of course be the not. only of course thing. Not. I'm like, we're <laughs> overly. Of course not, but that was just an idea. Okay, so um, we obviously we don't have like answers to all this ailments. I just yeah. want to grape about the, the most egregiously awful things about the, <laughs> about everything related to this. There's so much that's awful. I admit I hate talking about it. My my students always hated talking about any almost any aspect of what we now lump under the term identity politics. The entire class would always freeze in terror, and I think just think. Everyone's afraid to talk about it. Everyone's afraid to be insensitive or go wrong or say the wrong thing. And, you know, we, on the other hand, we don't want to go over to the conservative right stance of you should be able to say any god awful thing you want to. Um, obviously, that's dumb, yeah. too. But there's. <sighs> that's dumb, too. But, but the general thing with pisses me off besides like obviously identity politics yeah makes everyone scared to say anything wrong about the other identity they might mm. not be aware of. But another thing, it's like identity politics in general sort of hides I feel the central question mm. of power and power dynamic that's going on and that's sort of I don't know it usually I guess used to be a traditional um, left-wing narrative and something to tackle and it's not anymore and it's all about again identity but the biggest thing is I think it's all about power anyway and if women as a group have less power so they have less representation if women as a group have more power that would be good but having power is not the same as being represented on screen as a badass Captain Marvel it's just not the same thing at all (laughs) so I think it's more about having more power and that unfortunately can happen only through large scale government reforms or some sort of larger yeah, changes that, yeah. <laughs> that has nothing to do with movies. I mean, you know, yeah, no, I, I think largely you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, if it's not going to move into an activist stance about taking power in a very direct way, it's such a cul-de-sac. Um, even though the, there are all these claims like, look, we wind up with, and again, not that this is such a great thing in the end, but we wind up with a black president in part, the argument go, would go because mm-hmm. black presidents were being represented in films and TV. And it sort of prepared the way. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that's so hard to, what, 
ever prove. I guess you can you can interview people mm-hmm. and ask if it had an influence, but people often cite that as an example of out of what repre- representation in media can lead to blah 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 greater power and you know part of the whole what gay rights movement is you start getting will and grace yeah. <laughs> on television and it gets people accustomed to at least the mm-hmm. stereotypical representation. That's what Harvey Feinstein always says. I'd rather have the worst stereotype in the world than nothing. I'd rather I'd rather anything than invisibility. That is the very worst. Sometimes I wonder about that when you look at some of the horror shows, stereotypical <laughs> representations. But on the other yeah. hand, I kind of know what he means. It still seems a dead end uh, to me. What about RBG? I just forgot yeah. to discuss her in movies about her that, oh, God, like, now yeah, that, proliferate. that are everywhere. Does she contribute to anything related to the struggles? Well, of, in the, in the just the too. hero worship that seems to be motivating all of this movie. You know, just she's a social media phenomena, and you know these these two movies, the documentary, and then the what is it called on the basis of sex. Mm-hmm. Again, it seems like it's not like she didn't do win important court cases that, you know, allowed people to make to to you know, to sue, um, you know, based on discrimination against women. She did. It's not like she didn't do anything. It's that you wind up with this weird outsized outsized cult that doesn't go anywhere. And she, ta- you know, she doesn't always take, you know, super In fact often she doesn't take very, very. Uh, what we might call quote unquote progressive positions anyway, but it doesn't matter. It's almost like the cult of worship is its own end game. So it's much like the cult of Hillary. There's no inter intersecting and interjecting and saying, yeah, but, but where is this going and what are the policy positions attached and why don't you question these stances she's taken? It's, it's, it's almost like that becomes the end goal. I just want, I just want role models that I can worship unquestioningly becomes almost like the the end point of this stuff. But I don't know if you agree with that. (laughs) I mean, I I do believe there should be something there to look up to when I guess you're growing up and see that what's possible. I don't know if it's, well, I guess it's okay to be a high powered attorney or something or judge. Well, yeah, but we just keep, we keep taking these figures who aren't particularly great in any way and but but they're high profile they've made it to it's the same thing again they've made it to big power positions and that seems like it's enough she broke the glass ceiling she's she's on the supreme court which is you know you could very much argue is Mm -hmm. a horrifying anti-democratic institution anyway (laughs) how great is that and she's buddies with scalia and that tells you a lot about what happens to people in high-powered position male female black white whatever um, they they all go to the Corruption. country club together, <laughs> and they're all rich, and they all don't give a shit about you. Um, pretty much after a while, that seems to be the uh, what happens more often than not. Um, so, yeah, well, class trumps identity and gender well, for sure. You we know? think so, but there's that's there's a hot debate <laughs> over that one whether you know. But why would we say it? We should say well because you'll really see the fight start the minute you start the class war because you're actually trying to take power, wealth, and privilege. Uh, you're actually try, starting to try to take away what is really central, what what you know the one percent really cares about, and that's where you're finally going to get the real fight. You can have all the worshiping of you know basically as long as you're trying to join in as whoever as a trans game there'll only be that kind of protest that's the most the biggest idiots on the right wing and it won't matter but yeah your success in in doing that 
destabilizes nothing. And so they're perfectly happy to have you be content <laughs> worshiping RBG. <laughs> Go ahead. That sounds great because you're not going to try for anything uh, more revolutionary than that. The only thing that gets you in trouble and shows you where what the people are really squeamish about is just debunking some kind of mythology. <laughs> In a way, there's American mythology. Oh, right? yeah, anyone... going at the idea. Yeah, and and if you debunk, if you try debunking that, that's when you get yeah, real problems. Yeah, you get a lot and... of people angry at you. <laughs> you basically know you might be on the right track when ever, you know so many people are so pissed off as you. That's that's one, <laughs> and you're being horribly marginalized and not getting anywhere. Oh, there's so many bad tells. <laughs> basically, if you're horribly poor. No one wants. <laughs> Maybe you're on the right you track. No one wants to publish you. Help them make your movies, man. You're on the right track, my friend. Yeah. yeah. God, that's like a horrible conclusion. And I it have just to seems say. wrong. It seems like there's got to be ways, and we're just not finding them. Or we've just got to be smarter and more concentrated in finding ways to break through. Because it just doesn't seem like a lot of the attempts are very smart. But again, I think this is why the, the, the stance behind them is not very smart. So if all you want to do is lean in and yeah. break the glass ceiling, so-called, yeah, you're going to get the kind of drecky movies we're seeing. All right. I think, uh, I mean, uh, I'm uh Yeah, I'm me too. I have ranting. nothing. Go, feel free to cut anything that's just like blah, 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 because hi. Oh, no, no, no. I, no, this one, <laughs> this one goes uncut. Oh, God. All right, that was it. That was our episode on the on the Me Too news. <laughs> uh, we'll be back in two weeks with a surprise episode. You have to tune in to find out what it is. See you next time. Okay, see you next time. Bye. Bye.